Okay, well, maybe it just seems right. We're veering from the series this morning. We've been in a series uh, from the book of Acts called The Mission of God, and I will finish that series uh, next week from Acts 28, 31. But this morning, God has something else he wants us to hear. We had a vacation Bible school this week, if you don't know, and uh, it was really fun. It was awesome. I, it was an exceptional group of children. I just want to say that. I mean, the hearts were alive. It was really something. Um, <clears throat> the people participating were exceptional also. Uh, Jane Foken and I were sort of the introductory characters for each morning. Her name was uh, Miss Lollipop because it was Candyland, and my name was Chip, Chocolate Chip. And uh, so we kind of introduced things to the kids uh, each morning. The first morning, um, Jane was explaining how God created people and how God made each person on purpose. So she said, you know, God's in a good mood when he created you. He, it was very good. He's happy about you. And, I, and she said, you know, God made you on purpose. And there was Micah Swadley was sitting right here. I don't know how old Mike is eight years old, I heard her say, God made you on purpose, and I looked at him, and his eyes got huge. He looked over at, I think it was Heather Dawson, who was his leader, and he's like, God made me on purpose? I mean, it was like, at that moment, I said, I'm good. I will play the dork the rest of my life. It comes naturally. If God will reveal to children what he revealed to Micah. And you know what? As he was saying it, I was hearing it. I could see it, you know? And don't you want the wonder of a child to hear again, once again, your father in heaven on Father's Day? I made you on purpose. What I did, I did on purpose. As a part of that first um, uh, morning, I read from Genesis 2-7. Genesis 2-7 says this, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. So uh, this message this morning, in my mind, I just titled it as dust and breath. The dual reality that we live in, that we are dust and we are breath. At the very beginning of things, God took this, you know, humus is the Latin word, just earth, and then he breathed the, his divine breath, his spirit into it, and made us humans. So though Jesus has redeemed us, and our souls are uh, uh, reformed, our spirits are alive and eternal, our bodies are preparing for, in the next four, new creation after we die, in the midst of it, in the now of the now and the not yet, well, in the not yet of the now and the not yet, we are living in this tension the ever-famous vineyard tension, right? We are dust and we are breath. We are disposable and eternal. We are living in humility and destined for glory. And that's what we get to walk in. And my guess is for each and every one of us, we have a tendency one way or the other. We emphasize the dust or we emphasize the breath. When Jesus walked on earth, it was dust filled with breath. I'm feeling a little breathy myself this morning. Dust is the stuff of the earth. So the word human, humility, uh, humble, all those come from a Latin word humus. Humus just means dust. 
It means earth. We are made from the stuff of the earth. We as human beings are inextricably linked to the earth, to the stuff of the earth. We're connected to the material world. Is it any wonder that God can use a material world, sunset, um, beauty, stars, life, whatever, and we can, we can see the work of God in it. We can be at awe. And is it also any wonder that as humans, we can get fixated on and idolize stuff because we're made from it, right? We are made from stuff. But we're dust animated by God's breath. We are dust animated by God's breath. We're believers, so we're born of earth and we're born of heaven. We're connected to heaven and we're connected to earth. And we live in this tension, the, the interplay of the two. And so if we're dust in breath, I want you to hear this morning, it's imperative that if we're going to grow in our Christ-likeness, in dust and breath, we've got to be able to uh, accept both aspects of our condition, this condition that God has ordained we live in. He could have just gone like this and say, no more dust, you're perfect. And in the spirit we are, but for some reason he said, I'm going to let these bodies keep aching along, keep groaning along. So we have to accept our humanness, which means accepting and valuing and even honoring our bodies as a spiritual discipline before the Lord. It also means that we have to accept our fallibility, our imperfection. Celebrate our dustiness. You think, that doesn't sound very biblical. I just would refer you to Paul, who said, I will boast about my weakness, put in dustiness. I will bo boast about my weakness because in my weakness, God's power is made perfect. So we've got to accept our fallibility, our imperfection, but we also have to uh, um, accept our spirit-given identity, right? We are a new creation. We are new people. We now have the spirit of the living God in this dusty form. Why did God decide to do that? I have no idea. That's why he's God and I'm not. Praise him. There's a place to speak about the discipline of honoring our, our bodies, um, and that's another time. What I want to talk about this morning, at least in the first part, is this gift or this discipline of self-acceptance. Being comfortable with the reality of our humanness, the dust part of us. If uh, there are some of us, and I certainly have been one of them, that it's very easy to focus on the dust by condemning ourselves for the inability, the imperfection, the, 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 the fallibility of our humanness. For me, and maybe for some of you, this manifested in years of self-hatred. You might not have known that from the outside because I made it look like humility. And, but it's this deep inner sense of I am not okay. Can you feel it if you know it? I'm deficient. I'm, I'm defective. I don't fit. I'm not enough. And I'll tell you, the enemy of our souls loves to just shout that one, not from the rooftops, but from the soul tops. Right into our souls and tell us that over and over and over again. 
So what I want to ask you, I'm not going to spend 20 minutes talking about how we feel that way. If you feel it, you know it. It hit you right now. And you're like, God, why am I here today? And I'm telling you, this is why you're here today. Because I want to tell you the truth today, and I want to give you an opportunity to step out of that self-hatred. You want to hear the secret? You're not going to like it. <laughs> Here's the secret. Confess your pride. And this is what you think. In fact, I say it to myself. I would never say it to anyone else, but I say it to myself. How can you call that pride? And I say, confess your pride. The belief and the posture that in your life says, I should be other than I am apart from Christ. Okay, I needed the cross. I needed to be redeemed. But once God gave me that, I should be able to pretty much clean myself up from now on. Oh, I needed the cross for a while, but now that God gave me himself, he says, now go be perfect. And I think I should be able to do that. Do you hear the bad word? I swore. I should be able to do that. Or, and it gets kind of devious here, or, okay, I can accept the cross, I can accept my ongoing needs for God's grace, but I can't go to God again for his grace because the fact is I'm not trying hard enough. You ever feel that? Like, I know God's gracious, but, you know, he wants something from me, right? So I got I to gotta do something, and until I do that, I can't go back to God for his grace. You know what we're saying? I know grace is free, but I'll have to earn it, won't I? I should be as he is without him, is the epitome of pride. So what do you do when you find a sin, when you find pride? Repent. It's a happy word. Repent. Turn from the lie of the enemy that you are not enough, but you should be, that you somehow don't need him or don't need him anymore or should have figured it all out by now. Repent. And remember that the blood of Jesus is required in an ongoing way to cleanse you from your sin. Why do we take communion every time we gather? Why did Jesus say every time you get together, do this? Because we got to remember. We need this blood. We need this resurrection life. The spirit of Jesus is given to us to continually renew us and make us whole, ongoing, every day, day after day. And we're dependent upon Jesus for every moment. You know, it's so easy to say, I know, Jesus, you told me all that, so thank you for your grace. I'll try harder this week. And Jesus very lovingly says to us, John 15, in case you need the reference, apart from me, you can do nothing. This is humility soaked with gratitude. The admission that I am humus, I'm human, I'm dust. But what soaks dust so that it can be formed into a vessel for God's use is the rain of grace received in gratitude by God's people. Can you see the picture? I could just see the picture. You know, the dust of humus, us, and then the rain of grace given not because we earn it, but because he loves us. And it falls down and great gratitude, gratitudinous, thankful people, Thankful people just say, God, I needed it again. 
torrential rains, at least at our house in Fishers, a couple of days ago. And yesterday I cut the grass and there wasn't any water on it. Why? The ground needed it over and over and over again. We need God's grace. So this is the path to the self-acceptance that replaces hatred, to the peace that displaces anxiety and depression, to the power of God manifested through our lives, even through our weakness. This is the gospel. And what I want to do right now, because we are applicators of the gospel, is just do it right now. So if any of you are going to close our eyes, if any of you need now, this morning, to repent of that self-hatred, just go ahead, close your eyes, put your hands out like this if you're comfortable doing it. I'm going I'm to pray. And whatever you hear that is yours, own it. And whatever the Lord brings up in you, go to him with it from dust. Thank you, God, that you have decided to allow limitation, fallibility, imperfection to continue in our lives. We don't blame you for it, God. We thank you in the midst of it. And we confess that we have decided that we should be other than we are apart from you. And Lord, now I repent. I turn from believing that I should be other than I am right now in your grace. And I accept this morning, Father God, the Son, the daughter, the human that you created me to be. I celebrate your creation of me. I thank you, God, you did it on purpose. And I ask, Lord, that you would release now, break the power of self-hatred, condemnation, accusation, the lies of the enemy, those old tapes. I ask that you would um, break the power of those and now flood me with your unconditional love. Lord, open me to be a receptor of your Holy Spirit and grant me the grace to accept my acceptance. In Jesus' name, amen. Got to clap. I heard that message 25 years ago, and I'm still applying it and still living out the fruit of God's humility and my greatness. So I appreciate because some of you are asking, even if you're doing it silently, okay, Randy, good, something happened, I feel it, but what do I do with those thoughts? What about those self I mean, you know the thoughts? What do I do with those? I want to tell you a story. Uh, many of you know, Jane and I were on sabbatical January, February, we took some time off. Uh, a very kind couple let us use a lake house uh, January, so for the first two weeks of January, we were at this lake house. It was freezing cold. We took a walk every day out in the cold around the lake. And uh, the third day there, so third day of my sabbatical, it was a Sunday, first Sunday that I was gone from the church. We were walking around the lake, and we were praying. I mean, I don't want to sound all holy and everything, but we were praying. And we were asking God for his wisdom. 
you know, God, how do I do this? How do we do this? What do you want for our lives? What do you want us to do? And we walk around the corner, and right at the, Jane was the praying one. Right at the end of her prayer, we kind of op- open our eyes, look up, and there's an eagle. I mean, an enormous eagle. I've never seen one in the wild before. I know that's lame. But I, it's an eagle, you know, looking at us like this. And, and I said to Jane, if God was speaking to us through the eagle, what might he be saying? It's a very spiritual director type of a question. And we both determined we had no idea. <laughs> so we just keep walking. What do you do when you don't know? You keep walking, right? So we, wa- we walk around the corner. It's a true story. Walk around the corner. In, on this lake, a lot of the houses have names. You know, they name their house. Escape Hatch or, you know, Lakeside or whatever. We walk around and we see this sign. It's the name of a house. And the name of the, si- the, name of the house is Change of Venue. So my first thought is, God, what? But what do you mean by this? Like, change of venue? I mean, you're telling us to move? Like, you're talking about a different job? Like, wait a minute. I don't understand any of this. We didn't really know what to do with that. We had no sense of, like, we're supposed to move or move on. We didn't have any sense of that. That was day three of my sabbatical. Seven weeks later, I'm up in Tipton at a retreat center that I like to go to, just a place to be quiet. And I'm reading over my journal from the time... um, uh, from the time of sabbatical. I'd written for, I mean, I had more in my journal in those two months than probably I've written in my life because God was speaking and declaring and inviting. It was beautiful. So I'm reading back through all that, and I come to this, you know, really quickly, this change of venue thing I'd written. And I said, Lord, what the heck is that about, change of venue? I'm going back to church. Like, if there's something else that's supposed to happen, it seems like now's the time to tell me. Nothing from God except I have this thought, look it up, you know? Sometimes God can use Google. So I look it up. I'm sitting in the retreat center. I look it up. I just open up my phone. I type in change of venue. I'm looking at an attorney right now. Change of venue. I didn't, I just thought, what what else could that mean? It's a legal term. You You know what change of venue means? I better read it right here. It's the plea of an attorney on behalf of their client to move a trial to a new location, to another community where a fair and impartial jury is more likely to be found. God was leading me into another day of self-acceptance. He was not saying, Randy, you need to move to a new place, get a new house, get a new job. He was saying, it's time for the assessment of you to rise above your own brain and heart into the courts of heaven. I mean, God said, you need a change of venue. Basically, what he was saying is, Randy, you will never get a fair trial of yourself in your own heart. Have you ever gone, Bill Johnson says, have you ever gone into your heart and come out encouraged? (laughs) Like, it doesn't even work. I mean, sometimes we find Jesus in there, but you get, you know, introspection rarely ends up in amazement. God wasn't talking to us about moving house or changing job. He was talking to me about a new community in which to receive a fair, just, and accurate assessment of myself. I needed a new community, the Trinity. I needed a new venue, the court of heaven. Jesus, my advocate, the Holy Spirit, my jury, the Father, my perfect judge and justifier, the place of assessment of me had to move from the inside of me to the heart of God. 
No more Randy assessing Randy. That gets tiresome. I've been doing it for 56 years. I, <laughs> hey, you're older than I am. <laughs> so if you're younger than 56, I'm just going to tell you, stop now. You get a change of venue. Face it, you'll never get a fair trial in the court of a man's opinion. Yours or your own. If you are a puffer-upper, you'll be biased positive. That's not true. If you're a putter-downer, you'll be biased negative. That's not true. The only place to get a just trial is those of us in Christ, the verdict has already been delivered. When we think about who we are now in Christ and who we were before, Jesus looks at the old, and from the cross he says, it's finished. We do not have to hash over that anymore. You are a new creation. Romans 8.33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen. It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? Sometimes Paul will say, ask a question like that, just inferring nobody could do it. But in this, he double did it. Who is it that condemns? And Paul says, no one. I want us to hear that this morning. Who gets to condemn you? No one. When God has justified you. Who gets to bring the dust in the uh, back again, shove it in your face, say you should be? Who gets to do that? No one. The enemy will do it, but we don't need to let him do that anymore. The ruling of to prove ourselves unworthy are a ridiculous waste of time. It's already known. And any efforts to prove ourselves worthy, <laughs> also ridiculous. In this court, we're not testifying for the prosecution or the defense. We're the ones being released and set free. We're walking out the verdict of Jesus in our lives. We are pure. Romans 5.21, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Ephesians 1.6, you have been chosen. You are accepted in the beloved. What part of accepted in the beloved is bad news? No part. We're walking free, but we're not just walking free, we're walking empowered. We're dust. We got that point, right? I made that point pretty clearly. We're dust, but we're not just redeemed dust as if dust came back to zero. We're empowered dust. That's serious dust. We are spiritual beings. We are connected to the Almighty God, and we have the breath of God in us. We are dust and we are breath. Thank you. I'm going to do it again. We are dust and we are breath. Psalm 104, 29 to 30. This is not one you normally just stumble upon, but I love this verse. If you've been in, in uh, any sort of community, Trace Diaz, Curcio, uh, anything like that, you've heard this verse before. Speaking of God, the psalmist says, when you hide your face, they, speaking of all creation, animals, people, everything, when you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, the word is ruach in Hebrew, means breath, wind, or breath, breath, wind, or spirit. When you send your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the ground. When God sends his spirit, we are created. 
and we are recreated again and again and again. You know, people will come to the vineyard and we'll, they'll hear us say, Holy Spirit, come. And people get a little upset. The Holy Spirit's here. You don't have to ask him to come. Yeah, but don't we want him again and again and again and another manifestation? You know, the fan's on, but turn it up. The, the air's going, but open the windows. Like, let it all in. We need the Spirit of God. When you send your spirit, they are created. The spirit, the ruach, means both breath and wind. Like the Greek, pneuma, breath or wind. The breath of God is what's breathed into the dust to make it a living being. And it's the same breath that comes in Acts chapter 2. The wind, the breath, the spirit of the living God to infuse dust and make dust somehow glorious. That's the breath that recreates us. When you send the ground, when the breath of God is present, anything can be renewed. When the breath of God is present, when the Holy Spirit is present, i.e. all the time, anything can be renewed. What in your life needs that renewal today? I'm not saying, where do you need to try harder? I think we dealt with that already. I'm saying, where do you need to open yourself again and say, here's my dust, bring your breath. Let your breath come upon me again. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. All things have reason for hope when the Spirit of God is present. We're dust infused with breath. Your family, your life, your mind, your body, your emotions, your will, your bank account, <laughs> your whatever can be renewed because the breath of God is here. So we've got to accept the dust, right? Even rejoice in the dust and honor it. I know that sounds weird, but Paul did it. But we've also got to accept the breath. God has animated us by his very spirit. His breath sustains and renews us daily. Here's the wild thing. It, you might think, no, that can't be true. But I didn't tell Kara what I was talking about this morning. I just said, Kara, I'm veering off. And then she brings this song, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. If the response to the reality that we're dust is acceptance, then the response to the reality that we are breath is expectation. If on the one side we have to um, accept that we're, we're broken, we're fallible, we're imperfect, the other side of that, the breath part is, we get to expect something miraculous, otherworldly, different atmosphere, because the breath of God is now present. We have the divine breath, a new venue, and then walk out the life of the breath that's within us, that God wants to flow through us. In him, we live and move, and we have our being. Without God, you know what happens to us? One euphemism for death, to expire, to be out of breath. For the last breath to go out of you equals death. But God has spoken to us and said that this dust, you know, this part will go, but it will be recreated because it's infused with this breath. We have eternal life. We will not expire. We will live because the breath of God is in us. 
when he sends his spirit, that breath becomes the wind of our lives, and it's constantly available wind of renewal. <laughs> it's the first and, you know, perfect source of renewable energy. And it's not a joke. God's going to renew our bodies. These spirits are in renewal moment after moment, day after day. When he sends his spirit, they are, isn't it a funny construction? They are created, and he will renew the face of the ground. Even the earth becomes new because the breath of God. So if the very life or breath, the spirit of God is in us, then what can we expect out of our lives? Not just dust, not just mortality, not just imperfection or fallibility. We can expect the life of God in us. We can expect the power of God through us. We can expect the miraculous. We can expect words of God coming out of our mouth and prophetic utterances. We can expect the fruit of the life of God just like it came through Jesus through us. Think about it. Jesus was made of dust, filled with breath, came as us, as a man, connection, with the breath of God. We can, we can do it if we will let him do it in and through us. We can expect the fruit of God's life through this dust because the breath of God is in it. So what does that mean? I'll just go down Galatians 5, and 23. It means we can expect the love of God in us. We can expect the joy of God in us. We can expect the peace of God in us. Got to go through it. Love, joy, peace, patience of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control of God in us. We can expect it. Sometimes we will fail. We own it. We accept it. And then we expect that, God, you'll do a new thing. You will renew us after we fall. Jesus' expectation, walking in perfect with the Holy Spirit, is that all things were possible. And then he showed it. Until we accept the limitation of our dust, we cannot expect the full reality of our breath. I think there's a first and second here. If we just want to skip over the I'm dust part, Paul didn't do that. Jesus didn't do that. We can't skip to the end on this one. We've got to accept the limitation of our dust, even revel in it at times, so that the expectation of the Spirit of God can be manifest in us. As long as we're trying to clean up our dust, we limit the power of God to flow through our, our bodies in breath. Stop trying to clean up your dust. God will do that. He has done that. He is doing that. He will do that. Zechariah 4, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Where in your life do you need to experience the breath of God this morning? Where, what part of your life needs an expectation of God's movement that you just haven't seen, can't imagine, have given up on? Relationship, your own self-concept, your calling. It's time to stop bemoaning our dust or questioning our breath. We're both. 
and God designed it that way on purpose. Let's stand. If I could ask the ministry team to come forward. Amy, thanks. It looks like you have something to say. <laughs> there you go. When Kara was singing about the breath of God, oh, Holy Spirit, come on. Um, I had three quick pictures. Um, wait a minute. Everybody just step, stop and take a deep breath. Take a really deep breath. Take another one. God gave you that breath. That breath that you just took was given to him by God Almighty. There was nothing you earned, did to earn that breath. The three pictures I saw was Adam laying on the ground and Father God looking across to him and breathed the breath of God into him. The second picture I saw was Jesus coming through a closed door after his resurrection and he said peace and he breathed upon his disciples. The third picture I saw was a man who was drowned, had been pulled ashore, and was had been drowning. And he was laying there as if drowned. And there was dust and sand in his lungs. Because of the circumstances that he was in right now, it was taking the life out of him. And the Holy Spirit said, Breathe. Breathe. I want to give you the breath of life. And I believe the Holy Spirit still says to many of us today, breathe deeply of the life of Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit, the Ruach Kadosh, breathe on you. If you'd uh, like to respond, I just ask you to come forward. You can just come forward if you want to. God's reforming you. God needs to do a work of renewal in some place of your life. And we'll have people that will come and pray for you if you want. But I just think it's a, it's a time for a response. So if the Lord's speaking to you, if he's urging you, come forward. Step up. Say yes. No pressure, no manipulation, just an invitation from God. And if uh, those of you on the ministry team, just after a minute or so, could come and pray for some of these. Heather, do you want to? just going to stay in this time of response. Um, those of you, you know, you're welcome to stay as long as you want. 
Ask God the question. Ask God the question. God, what do you want to renew? What do you want to bring? Where do you want to breathe? Where do you want to bring me life? standing, you're sitting, you're, you're thinking, God, it, something's going on, but I don't know what it is. Respond to God. Let God speak. Sometimes, like Abraham, the Lord says, I'm going to send you to the place that I will show you but he fails to mention the place because what he really wants is the heart that says yes. So if you just got a yes in your heart for God this morning, respond with a yes. as long as you want, but I also uh, release you if you want or need to go at this point. Go knowing that God formed you by his very hands. He knows your limitations. He's put his divine breath within you. He loves you, and he wants to renew your life, that you might be a renewable source of energy all through the world in the name of Jesus.